Hey, best friend. Welcome to another episode of the Opinionated and Melanated Podcast. I am your host and new best friend, Kimmy J. And today's episode is entitled Only on Father's Day. So it's Monday evening and we just celebrated Father's Day yesterday. And Saturday was the first official federal holiday of Juneteenth. Um, So, you know, the national observation of it, which is really... Um, it's great, but it's complicated, like a lot of things <laughs> in America. Um, you know, so while, you know, critical race theory is on the chopping block and so many, um, bills have been rejected to, uh, you know, anti-lynching bills and, you know, we're not, you know, while people are actively protesting to not teach the truth and not teach um, critical race theory, um, you know, in the midst of all of this, Juneteenth becomes a national holiday. And um, I almost labeled this episode, two things can be true because two things, three things, multiple things can be true at the same time. Yes, we have so much further to go. Yes, we are nowhere in this country where we need to be. Yes, critical race theory needs to be taught. Yes, anti-lynching bills need to be in place. Yes, we need to abolish and defund the police. Yes, Black Lives Matter. Yes, stop Asian hate. Yes, protect trans lives. Yes, protect LGBTQ rights. Yes, all of that. And those things can all be true, but Juneteenth needed to be and should be recognized as a national holiday. And for all of those, oh, I'm getting into it early. I just barely said a welcome, but to all of those that are saying, we didn't ask for this, we didn't da-da-da-da, that is a bold-faced lie. People have been fighting for this. There have been activists working on this longer than BLM and longer than the huge... Um, boom of BLM last year. It has gone on for a very long time that people have been advocating to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. And there are people that need celebrated and thanked in the process of this. Miss Opal Lee um, in particular, look her up. She needs to be thanked and celebrated that in her lifetime and with all of her advocacy that she gets to see um, this happened and gets to see it signed and and official that it is a national holiday that will be recognized that, you know, state workers will have off in the future and all these different things. It needed to happen. And, you know, and I know even last year, there were so many people, I remember, you know, so many were talking about like, oh, with the with this big boom of BLM and everyone is protesting and finally understanding why all of this was, ha- you know, why the Black Lives Matter movement was happening and, you know, 
rallying behind the George Floyd case and all these different things and rallying behind uh, Breonna Taylor. And, you know, and I remember people saying next year, Juneteenth going to be lit, like with everything that's happening, everything that's in motion. We're definitely like, you know, even last year, state individual states were starting to make Juneteenth uh, official within their state. And everyone's like, because I remember last year, New York made it official and I was like, oh, if everything is safe, I want to go to New York next year because it's it's going to be, um, you know, recognized on the state level there. It's going to be so lit. Da, 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 da. Like we were all expecting. Now when it happens, all these too woke for school people, we didn't want this ass and this is bull crap and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, this is definitely something that needed to happen. And if you care about black lives, if you care about the movements that are going forward, you also have to care about black joy and black celebration and the black experience. And to to say, to talk about how critical and important critical race theory is and not see the value in recognizing our holidays and our traditions and our history and celebrating that and never forget and all of this, like you, you do yourself a disservice. You make yourself look like a hypocrite. You look like a joke. If holidays don't matter, then why are we still advocating to officially change Columbus day to indigenous people's day? I know I personally call it that, but it should be recognized. It, there shouldn't be a Columbus Day on the calendar. Those things matter. How we represent our country matter. How we celebrate freaking matter. Don't have don't have a national celebration around July 4th and expect me to get behind it. But my ancestors would have still been servants there, would have been cleaning up after your celebration and, and, and not recognize Juneteenth as a celebration for my ancestors and the enslavement that they endured. No, it needs to be a national holiday. It needs to be recognized. I don't care if, it, you know, like, and I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, take whatever America gives us or whatever white people throw our way. We need to be doing backflips. No, I'm not one of those people. But Juneteenth 100% needs to be recognized. And and it's not hollow. It's meaningful when we make it meaningful. Do you realize that people still, there's still people today that disagree with Martin Luther King Day, that disagree with Black History Month. Like, we, you don't get the holiday when everybody's on one accord and everybody's uh, doing a, a unity dance for uh, in the streets. Like, no. Our holidays have always been tied to our activism. Let's not forget pride was first a riot. That LGBT, you know, people make, oh, it's just, you know, gays in short shorts and half naked. No, pride was a riot. Pride was a rebellion. Pride was a revolution. Now, because there are some... um progression and that there are things that they can celebrate behind just the fight, but the fight is still going on. The fight is still there. The, there is, it's an act of rebellion to have joy. There's an act of rebellion to celebrate. There is an act of rebellion to have pride in who you are. It is significantly tied to one another. You don't have the movement without the celebration, without the joy. That gets you to the next victory. 
So that's all for free. I didn't mean to go there. <laughs> I didn't mean to go there so early. But, you know, like, all, all of it is true. And, you know, and the fight for CRT needs to be tied to this Juneteenth because you can't, you know, you can't, you can't dissect those two. CRT is meaningful just like Juneteenth is meaningful, just like, you know, so to, to you know, people are talking about the hypocrisy of, of um, nationally recognizing Juneteenth and at the same time people are fighting against Juneteenth. I mean, are fighting against CRT. Um, and yes, there's a, there's a constant hypocrisy in our country. That the White House was built with slave hands, but we're not allowed to say that Michelle Obama was demonized for acknowledging that. But it's the highest office of the land built on the backs of my ancestors, but my ancestors aren't worthy of the holiday. That ho The holiday is hollow and BS. No, no. You can't make uh, Harriet Tubman a role model and a um, an icon and call her a hero and say Juneteenth is bullcrap. No. You know, and, and for the people specifically that are opposing critical race theory, the opposition is saying we don't live in a racist, oppressive times anymore, and so there's no need for critical race theory. Therefore, let's show equality through upholding and protecting white supremacy by teaching an inaccurate, dishonest portrayal of history that fails to acknowledge people of color in this country, um, neither their contributions nor their suffering. It doesn't make any sense. CRT must be taught in schools. And it and like so many people are saying it's not tied. It is not tied to some sense of white guilt. That's not what it's about. Only when our history is taught with truth and honesty and breaking down these fallacies that we've built in this country that have only been used to protect and further and deepen uh, the roots of white supremacy and keep it in a lock chokehold. You know, people, these white parents are getting up saying, how do you expect my children to feel? Blah, blah, blah. How do you expect black children to sit and choke down your lies and this fallacy and these inaccurate portrayals of history? They're sitting in classrooms and taught the the um, pros and cons of slavery. What? You have, you have people believing things that are so inaccurate, but they, they somehow empower you. You're empowered by these lies and you want them to continue. Critical, critical race theory must be taught in schools. It must be taught. It must be celebrated. It cannot be demonized. And we cannot, you know, even as advocates for critical race theory, we can't change the name. We can't say, oh, well, if this name bothers you, we'll go. No, it's not the name. You know, what the guilty have a, have a habit of doing is um, turning the tables and pretending to misunderstand what's being 
what's being asked of them so that they can play victim. The United States does this all the time. Um, white supremacists do this all the time. Um, racists do this all the time. Uh, toxic relationships, people in toxic relationships do this all the time. If I say it hurts me that you lied to me because you lied to me before, oh, you're bringing up the past. You won't let us move on from the past. Like, that's the same type of thing, you know, and, and I'm showing it on a smaller scale, like in a, a toxic relationship. But that's the same type of thing America does to us when we, even when we say, well, Black Lives Matter. Oh, well, my life matters. I think all people matter. That That's the whole point, is when you are killing defenseless Americans in the street. And I'm saying Americans because Black people, like these are American citizens that have rights that should be protected. Everyone should be, you know, whether you're an American citizen or not. But I'm saying like America doesn't even see us as citizens. They don't even see us as people of this place and and entitled to the same rights as them. So that's why I, I was highlighting, you know, American citizen, but it's in no way a... um insult of someone who is not a citizen regardless of your status you should be treated with respect but i'm saying these defenseless people are being killed in the streets with no due process no arrest um many with just a phone call just a phone call by a white person saying a black person has done something or they suspect them of doing something or there's a disturbance, and that phone call is a death sentence. I think about Tamir Rice. You know, he's been gone for years now, and I just watched his murder for the first time last year. I'm not heavy on watching these police killings caught on tape. Um, I've, I've never watched even Floyd's murder. Um, I've never watched it in its entirety. Um, I watched Tamir Rice. I, first, I hear the phone call. White man calls 911. Says there's a black boy in the park. He's waving a gun. I don't think he's a threat. My, he, he kept reiterating this on, on the short call. He said it maybe twice. I don't think anyone's in danger, but I don't know what's going on. I want somebody to come out here. Um, he said a young person. I don't think he, he didn't say like a child. Tamir was literally a child. Wasn't even a teenager yet. Um, and I say yet, like he w ever got to reach teenage, he doesn't because the police, I mean, they don't miss a beat. They literally get out of the car and they're firing as they get out of the car. Like it was literally less than 10 seconds and he shot dead. Tamir Rice was 12 with a toy gun playing pretend in the park. And one phone call was his death sentence. So we say Black Lives Matter because we're literally saying 
Black Lives Matter too. You can't just kill us in the street like this. You can't just, you know, pick us off like flies, but it's happening. And courts are upholding the decision to protect the murderers. So that's why there's the importance of this movement. That's why it, it must be discussed. That's why it can't be demonized. That's why we can't buckle when people make these these asinine remarks like, oh, well, my life matters too. And I, I, I don't believe in Black Lives Matter because I think all lives matter. You're talking out of your butt. You're literally talking out of your butt. Um, so anyways, all of that's for free. <laughs> Okay, so this episode is entitled, like I said, it's entitled um, Only on Father's Day. And so I wanted to share a story time and let you know why <laughs> this episode is called that. Um, I like a lot of people. Um, I don't have a relationship with my father. Um, and I know a lot of people like me that don't have a relationship with their father, they may feel bad on Father's Day or they may use this day, you know, use Father's Day to vent their frustrations. But for the most part, most people I know they're that don't have fathers in their lives, they're just quiet on this day. They let everyone who, you know, has these great um, relationships with their fathers share that and, you know, have that day and we're silent about it. Um... And what I, you know, I think over the years, I've had a mixture of, I don't think I've never vented or, you know, on Father's Day or torn down uh, my dad or anything on Father's Day. But I have tried to stay quiet or um, sometimes I really try to um, celebrate those people in my life that um have filled in that gap of not having a father um but it's funny because you know like i i feel like i have a different type of relationship with not having a dad in my life because you know my parents were married years before i was born um they were married after i was born they were married my entire childhood um they did not um a divorce until I was a freshman in college. Um, you know, they separated like when I was a junior in high school and we still lived one street away from each other. So, you know, he was there, you know, like I've always had a dad in my life, my entire childhood, like I said. So it's very strange that as an adult, my dad is not in my life and, you know, he's not dead. He purposely um, chose to not talk to me anymore like he cut me out of his life and you know so that's it's that's very odd you know most people if they don't have you know didn't, didn't have a relationship as a child is why they don't have one as an adult but I did he purposely left my life and you know next month it'll be 10 years since my dad has spoken to me um and so you know it's a mixture of of hurt and pain that has happened along these 10 years. But even before that, you know, even while he was in my life, even while my parents were married my whole childhood and everything that he wasn't the perfect father, but he was there. I never 
really expected or even I never even considered that there would be a time in my life that he wouldn't be a part of my life, you know. But I mean, but it wasn't that he was like this perfect dad or I idolized him. I never did because he wasn't always the best dad and he wasn't the best to my mom and things like that. So I, a lot of times I will use, um, and especially in the beginning, especially those first years of him just completely not being in my life, I really tried to celebrate though the men in my life that were still there um and in particular my uncle Charles he's my godfather and I remember um like the first year my dad wasn't speaking to me that father's day rolled around um was weird and I did I didn't it felt empty and I wasn't used to feeling empty like that, even though, like I said, me and my dad didn't have the best relationship. So that next year, it might have been, yeah, I think it was the next year um, that Father's Day rolled around. I decided I want to celebrate Uncle Charles. and You know, like I always tell him Happy Father's Day, but I thought I'm going to really celebrate him and use that time to... Um, just honor him you know like I never I, before my dad was speaking to me I never thought about treat you know just like treating that day special just for Uncle Charles just for our relationship and so I was like I want to do that so that next year I traveled um my Uncle Charles lives in Alabama I traveled to be with my Aunt Carlette my Uncle Charles and you know my Alabama family and just celebrate and honor him for being my godfather, for being that that constant, um, you know, father figure that's never, you know, checked out of my life. And he could have. I he he has children of his own. You know, he didn't have any responsibility that he had. You know, like any. Um, oh, what's the word? I can't even think of the word any obligation to be there, but he just was there. And I wanted to celebrate that. I, and I made Father's Day special just for Uncle Charles that year, which was my first time ever doing. And when I got to church, one of um, the ministers there was like asking me why I was there, what I, why I came there on Father's Day. And I said, well, I don't have a dad in my, I, I said, cause I don't have a dad. I wanted to celebrate uncle Charles. And I was like, he is my godfather. And I just wanted to celebrate him. And this particular minister, he knew my family. So he knew I had a dad. He didn't say like, Oh, what's going on? Like what happened to your dad or whatever? He just started laughing at me and he like laughed in my face. Um, when I said like, I don't have a dad. So I, I just wanted to celebrate my godfather and just make it special for him. And it embarrassed me so bad. And I'm, I've never told anybody this. I've never told anybody this. But you're my bestie, so let's get into it. Um, He laughed in my face, and I never came back down for, for Father's Day again. I felt humiliated by that. I was like, let me not pretend like, you know, I, I wasn't trying to pretend. I've never met, and it's going to make me cry. Dang. Ugh, I don't make it through no podcast without crying. Um, 
I never tried to pretend and make it like Uncle Charles is my dad. I always acknowledge that he is my godfather, that he has stepped in, that he has filled a role that he didn't have to play. You know, and I mean not play. He's not he's never pretended with me. He's been there literally my entire life. Aunt Carlette and Uncle Charles were a part of my family before I was a part of my family. You know, like so many people when they you know, may find out that we're not blood. Though I've had some people I've had people ask me, Oh, when did you know trying to be like pry or figure it out. Oh, when did you meet, um, meet Aunt Carlette and Uncle Charles? And I'm like, they were there when I was born. Like my mom and Aunt Carlette have known each other since they were teenagers. Like, what are you talking about? Like my mom and aunt and my, and Aunt Carlette lived with Aunt Jan while they were teens. Like, this is not, you know, some fly by night, you know, like some people who call people their godparents, they've met them while they were grown and they just claim them like, oh, we're, you're my godparent now. Like, no, they've been there. Um, they knew my mom pregnant. They knew my mom before she was married. Like, you know, like the whole nine. Um, and so I say that to say, you know, this has been a family relationship longer than than that you know so I didn't I don't just call them godparents I call them aunt and uncle like my mom and aunt Carlette grew to be sisters like there's nothing um false about that there was nothing hollow or um inauthentic about that like it's it's always been that way I've never known a life without knowing aunt Carlette and uncle Charles um that's just that on that. So, you know, I don't know why it affected me so much that he laughed at me, but it did that the minister laughed at me and I felt like, well, I don't have a dad. Let me stop trying to make, you know, make lemonade out of these lemons. And so I stopped going to visit on Father's Day. I stopped you know, making it like gifts and cards and all that and just say thank you. And I always try to tell him thank you and tell him what he means to me on Father's Day. And I always acknowledge Aunt Carlette on Mother's Day too, you know, and I and I always say like God knew what I would lack as in in a father. So he blessed me with three mothers. I literally have three mothers. I have my mom, of course, who gave birth to me. And I have my Aunt Carlette, who is my godmother, and I had my Aunt Jan, who was like a mother to both of them, who was literally my mom's big sister, but who filled in the gap even when their mother died and she was there for my mom. And my mom couldn't wait to graduate from high school and move to be with Aunt Jan, that she pur purposely graduated early just to get closer to Aunt Jan sooner. Um, And so... I'm grateful for those women and you know and I felt like Uncle Charles has and he has been that man that's always been there he's given me advice um you know always been a cheerleader always been supportive has you know been so much more than a card or a check or a you know he's been there and I appreciate him for that um and so this year, I, you know, I, 
I, I still do that. I still thank him. And I also, I took the time to think of the people in my life that are, are just good fathers, you know, good family members in my life that I love and wanted to celebrate. My little cousin, Brandon, who's a dad, and I don't always think of him as a dad. He's my little cousin and my little cousin, Ryan, who is uh for real, for real, dad. He has a lot of sons and daughters that, you know, he's brought into this world. And I wanted to tell him Happy Father's Day. And I thanked my Uncle Pete because, like, my Uncle Pete and I, we haven't always been super close. I've been super close to his son for a long time, my cousin Patrick. But, like, me and Uncle Pete didn't really talk like that. But even somehow through this pandemic, we've started talking on the phone and just getting to know each other and getting to know each other's TV shows and bonding over things like we n never have before. Like we never have deep conversations and now we do. And I thanked him for that. I thanked him for over the course of this year of when people are more isolated than ever, we actually got closer. And I, you know, I just wanted to, share the wealth of love and celebration that I have for men who are just good fathers, even if they haven't been, you know, like I said before, I was celebrating, you know, just Uncle Charles because he was been a great father figure to me. But just people that, you know, just family members that I know that are good fathers. I told Kenny Happy Father's Day. My cousin, I often call my twin. We're eight days apart. He's a great father. Um, I celebrated him. I celebrated my cousin, you know, my cousin's husband, you know, they have six kids together and I know that has to, you know, that's a lot and they do so much for their family and their family is their life. So I reached out to her and I just told her I wanted to tell her husband happy Father's Day, you know, and just think about all the people that that I might not have ever acknowledged as fathers and give them that pat on the back that I know that they're they're doing their thing. You know, I may never have a husband. I may never have um, children. I may never have, I don't have a, a living grandfather. I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of people that I have an obligation to on this day, you know, on Father's Day. But I want it, I don't want to, some days I forget Father's Day is coming. Sometimes I don't even write it down because... I feel like I can remove myself from this holiday. One less thing I have to be thinking about or worried about. But there are good people. And I, I want to fill the day with love and gratitude for good fathers and good men. And I don't wish my father any ill will. And I know that that his lack of care for me and his decision to cut me out of his life. It doesn't come from anything that I lack or anything that I'm not, but it comes from his damage and where he is as a person. And I know that that if he was in my life and not healed from the things that have hurt him and that have broken him, he would just continue to hurt me. Um, that's what I dealt with all of my childhood. I couldn't heal from a lot of the wounds because he would, kept cutting them deeper. You know, and I remember even as a child, I would beg my mom to leave my dad 
Um, not because, you know, every, you know, so many people have this like cookie cutter picture of their parents and them being in love and what you thought they were, but I didn't have that. I got to see not all, my mom shielded me from a lot, but I knew she wasn't happy and I knew I wasn't happy and I knew how bad dad hurt me. And I, I would say like, let's just leave. Like I could forgive him if we left and I wasn't in this situation every day being hurt deeper and hurt deeper. And she always felt this, this godly obligation to stay and she wanted to be the best wife and she wanted me to have the best life. And she thought that could only happen in this two parent household. But if the, you know, the house is on fire, you leave. Um, um, and so what he thinks of my mom and he has such a an inaccurate and distorted and false view of her she's always advocated for me to have a relationship with him she always wanted me to see him in the best light and the best view the only person the only family member that destroyed my relationship with my dad is my dad and so you know even before he stopped speaking to me, I was already praying and seeking healing from, for, you know, seeking healing from the damage that he caused and the traumas that he caused me um, and seeking therapy for that and talking through it with people. So, like, by the time he cut me out of his life, yeah, it hurt. Yeah, it was shocking. Like, even everything that happened, I'm not even going to go into all that tea, but even with how everything happened, you know, it took a new process to heal even from that particular situation. But I never was, you know, after, you know, after the initial shock and everything and getting out my feelings about it, I'm not angry at him. Like I said, I don't wish him any bad, any ill will at all. Um, but only on Father's Day, I hope that he experiences discomfort. He shouldn't feel at ease and at peace. He shouldn't feel like, um, he shouldn't get cards and hugs and kisses and thanks for being a good dad. Um, and I don't know if there are people in his life that see him as a father figure that tell him happy father's day or if it's just you know women in his life you know that know he's a father like my grandma or hit one of his wives I don't know which wife he's on now um the furthest I know of is three I don't know if he's beyond that but you know I don't know I know he's had stepchildren by his second wife I to my knowledge I'm his only child that he's ever had um but he should he shouldn't feel at peace on Father's Day. That's the only day I wish him you know, I don't wish him harm any day, but I do wish him discomfort. He should feel at un uneasy about where he left things with his only daughter. Um he should feel guilty for not speaking to me for ten years. Um he should he shouldn't feel a pat on the back or a sense of accomplishment or a father of the year trophy. So that's why I called this episode only on Father's Day. I don't know where he is. I don't know 
um, what he's doing. I don't know how he's describing me. I know that there have been years since we've talked where if a person that a mutual friend or family friend would ask about me, he would say he would give a, an assessment like he talked to me like, oh, Kim's doing good. You know, she's doing good. And he hadn't talked to me. So that's weird. I don't know if he still does that. But I would say only on Father's Day, he should feel some discomfort and not be at peace with what he's done as a father. From Daddy's Day to Zaddy's Day. Ew. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Zaddy Loki. So we've had episode two of the Loki series. Um, this episode was juicy and I feel like I know less of what's going on. I'm so confused. They're taking us, and we knew we were going to be in a wild ride. They're taking us through turns and, and, <laughs> and, um, mystery, and we're still figuring this out. So, um, but okay, here's one thing before I get started. I definitely think that Loki, I mean, it, it has to be like, I feel like this is common. I mean, not common knowledge, but this is, this goes without saying at this point, he has to be connected to, um, to the, um, oh my gosh, why, why am I losing my words? To Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Like, he has to be connected. Like, all this stuff dealing with time. Um, oh, and especially how this episode ends. But we'll get to that in a second. But all of this, he it has to be intertwined. Like, we knew... I knew without a doubt because I had already heard that, um, you know, the vision... The WandaVision series was going to tie into Loki and the Multiverse of Madness. And I know that she is going to play a huge hand in the Multiverse of Madness. And if you don't know, um, I keep saying it over and over again, but that's the title. It'll be Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. It will be the MCU's first horror film. Um, Wanda will play a huge part in it. But now, as we see, we're in too, too deep. <laughs> we're in ep two episodes deep into the Loki series. And um, the TVA, Time Variance Authority, is at the center of everything. That's why he's been arrested, why, why they arrested Loki. But with all of this time, time, time going on, you know Doctor Strange is going to be in the midst of it. Um, and so... Uh, what we're seeing with Loki is not only is time playing a role, but um, the different versions of Loki are playing a role. And so they're doing something really unique. Um, and I will say kind of different than the comic books. Like in the comic books, you know, you know how Loki can shape shift or whatever, and he can look like other people. And, you know, like how he mocked Captain America and, you know, did his voice and took over, you know, looked like him for a second. He did it just for like a split second. But in the comics, all the different iterations of Loki, like it is Loki. Like there's a female Loki that is literally Loki. Like he, 
transforms into this person to this the female version of himself and he can literally like give birth he has children he has children with a horse in the comics and stuff like that but it's all one body one singular body but in this in this series they're taking the iterations of loki to be like different people like a horde of people basically and um they're like there's different versions all over the timeline like w you find out in this second episode that um the evilest loki that's out who is who the time the tva is hunting he, that loki is um uh, sorry my snorting is starting that loki is hiding out in um catastrophic events so what what our loki um is figuring out is that the bad loki can hide there because you um no matter what the damage that that he does nothing will mess up the timeline because that place is going to be destroyed anyway so that's how he's hiding and and avoiding the TVA is because he's going to events that that town's going to be destroyed. Like he goes to Pompeii, you know, um, he probably is hiding out somewhere in um, that, you know, the whole blip scenario. He could hide out there. He's hiding different places. And I'm saying he um, because it's Loki, but it's actually kind of it's a they them kind of situation because like I said, there's a female version of Loki that in the comics was literally Loki himself. He could transform into that. That was the whole significance of his of Loki's long hair is that he is both he, he is both the original Loki, but this female Loki at the same time. Um a real non-binary trans type of um sci-fi character loki is um but anyways i don't know how like I, I don't know how they're gonna do that with pronouns and stuff like that so i'm just like saying who we know loki to be and you know in the in the mcu or whatever so they show loki all these different versions of himself a hulkish looking loki they show him all these different ones but also Loki is kind of possessing people too to use them at will. So the ba the bad Loki is touching someone and he's speaking through their voice and everything they're walking, they're doing they're doing his bidding, but it's literally Loki doing it. It's like a very spiritual thing. It's literally like a possession. But at the end of the episode, you see the version of the Loki who is doing these evil things, and it's a blonde female Loki. Now, normally the female version of Loki is dark haired, like has his same hair, the dark black hair. Um, but this Loki is blonde. Um, and he's kind of startled and shocked and surprised when he sees her, and our Loki follows her as she um, exits the timeline where she was because the TVA had tracked her to a place and was trying to arrest her. Loki is the only person that sees her. Not even the TVA is around Loki when he does it. 
they see him, you know, he sees her, follows her, the woman leaves out through the portal, and so she's going to escape again, escape the TVA. The TVA comes up right as Loki's standing there. He's looking at the TVA. He's looking at the, the portal door where he could follow the female version of himself. And he's looking back, he's looking back, and Owen Wilson is like, no, don't do it, Loki, don't do it. And he runs off. So now it looks like, so they only see our Loki. So it looks like he betrayed them. And I mean, he does disobey, but he did not betray him. Like, um, um, Lovecraft Country Girl, I got to find out her name on the show. But Lovecraft Country Girl, she's like totally against Loki. She was against using him to help the TVA and, you know, like using him as this informant type of person. Um, so she sees him and she feels vindicated. Like, yes, he would double cross you. He's wrong. He's wrong. But he's really hasn't double crossed yet. He just defied by not staying like they wanted him to, but he's actually tracking the bad Loki, the bad version of himself. So I know he's going to be vindicated at some point, or maybe they'll leave it on a cliffhanger and pick it up in the Doctor Strange movie, but um, he's not going to be all bad. He's not going to be what Lovecraft Country thinks he is. And I think, you know, just me, normally when the enemy thinks you're the enemy and you're really the good guy, like I feel like something's going to happen to where he's going to have to save her life or something like that. And I'm talking about her as in the Lovecraft Country girl. He's going to save her or she's going to die protecting him and realize he was good all along. You know, he was good for them in this scenario. Um, but the show is very interesting. Um, I'm here for whatever Loki has to offer. And like, I love Tom Hiddleston and I know Tom Hiddleston has a great body. Like, oh, first of all, if you, if you are enjoying the series, if you are enjoying Tom Hiddleston and really, um, didn't think of him as a leading man, I encourage you to watch, um, The Night Manager. It's on Amazon Prime. It's a great little series. It's a very short series. Um, but Loki's bombing it. Well, I'm calling him Loki. Tom Hiddleston is bombing it. And he looks good doing it. And he's like this sexy man of mystery. And he's doing his thing. So if you enjoyed this series, I encourage you to watch that series. It's really great. It's a couple years old now. A few years old now. Um, but it's really good. But anyways, I said that to say, like, I've seen him. I know he has a great body and he's a sexy man. But to get to see Loki in like these button ups and like in like more modern clothes and not in his more um, Asgardian attire, like I'm living for it. When they stripped him, oh, I'm just oh, I'm just saying, Loki. <laughs> There's nothing Loki about how good he looks. Oh my gosh, you know I got Loki puns for days. But anyways. I love the series. I'm I'm totally into it. Um, I've given a lot of spoilers. I hope you've seen it. So, like I said, it's only it's almost a week old now. The new episode will air on Wednesday. So watch it. Get into it. Like be about that Marvel life. Um, yeah. So as I said in my last June episode, um, uh, this month is, um. Pride Month, and it's also Black Music Month. So, if you enjoyed the intro song, 
That's um something to say by Michaela J, aka my queen, <laughs> MJ Rodriguez, star of Pose. Um, we love her for life. Um, not only is she a black woman of color, Latinx also, African American mother, Afro Puerto Rican father. We live for her. She is amazing. And she just brought out this new song and she's so excited about her music career. And if you heard, if you watch Pose, then you've heard her sing. Um, she has an incredible voice and I'm excited to see what her musical career has to offer um, and if she, you know, gets to get a full album out and what she's going to do. But this is just an upbeat, poppy song um, that just is like, <laughs> is great. And I thought it, you know, it was just a great way to start off this episode. And I'm actually going to end with it. Um, it'll be my outro as well. Um I'm just living and I just, I love her. And the song is, I've you know, is saying I've got something to say and just talking about equality and, you know, activism and um, really what pride means to her. And if you follow her on Instagram, which of course I do, and you should because her Instagram is bomb, but she just talks about how excited she is and how she's so happy to be able to, um, bring her new song out during Pride Month, you know, and really advocate for the LGBTQ community and especially the trans uh, community and women of color. Um, so we're just here for her. So get into it if you enjoyed the song that it's her. I guess so she's going by um, a different name than her acting name. So she's going as Michaela J. Um as she is putting out music. So when I first looked her up on um, on Apple Music, when I put in MJ Rodriguez, as I normally know her, she only the songs from Pose were coming up that she sang as a part of the show. So if you're looking for her new music, as she continues to bring out music, um, you'll have to look her up under Michaela J. So that's why I wanted to make sure you know that. And this is, of course, Mother Blanca from Pose. All right, best friend, it's time for a word before I leave you. We allow hate to affect us too much. Why do we say our haters are our motivators when so many have sown into our lives and sacrificed their blood, sweat, tears, and time for us to be where we are right now? There are so many people that are pulling for us, that are encouraging us and praying for us that why aren't why aren't they our motivators why do we allow our accomplishments to be um acknowledged only by those who we deem hate us or don't expect for us to be there no no joy or accomplishment or um achievement in your life should be attributed and thanked and be, you know, and be of thankfulness to your haters. Thank your mothers, your fathers, cousins, aunties, and even your best friends that are pulling for you, that are, that are celebrating you, that are supporting you, that have been the backbone to why you do what you do or how you've been able to do what you do. And in that vein, I want to take this time to thank a best friend of the podcast 
that I love and I celebrate and who is always there for me. It doesn't have to be something overtly, but I mean, there's nothing, um, there's never any shame. And she does so many times say overtly um, to support me and to promote me, you know, and I'm saying promote in a small sense. I know I don't have a big platform, but she will always share my content or say good things. She always has my back. And if I tell her, hey, I put something out, she looks for it. She listens to it. She critiques it. She gives me advice. And she always listens to my advice, which I can't believe she's willing to do. And that's Bestie Liz. She has been a supporter day one of the podcast. And I was even thinking about it. I was trying to think about how long that I've known her and that our friendship has lasted. And it blows my mind that next year we will have been friends for 20 years. She's literally my second longest friendship in this world. And here's another fun fact. My two oldest friendships in the world, and both of them are named Elizabeth. Um, I'm giving snaps right now. There's power in that name. Because <laughs> Liz has been there. She listens to every podcast. She sends me notes and she texts me about it. She even watches my crazy chaotic YouTube videos. Um, and she texts me the other day. She's like, you know, it's real. I'm literally your only subscriber. And I start laughing because I told her, I was like, I didn't, I was pretty sure nobody was subscribing because I literally only use my, my YouTube channel when I can't post something on Instagram. And here's some real tea. I've never said, like, explain this. If I have made the videos live and like live recorded my um, videos on IG, I would have been able to do the long ones, but I never do because I know like everyone always plays people that have zero views on their lives and no one's watching. And I knew that no one watched mine. So I would always try to like record a video and just upload it. And as much as I talk about, I don't care about views or how many people are listening or watching. It was just something about seeing a live and having zero people on there. I thought it would be too embarrassing, but I'm actually going to start doing Instagram lives because number one, who cares? I'm doing this because I want to put out my thoughts and feelings. And number two, um, you know, because I can't, I can't do my longer videos on IG without making them live. And to know that she's my only subscriber on YouTube, it just motivated me to be like, why am I still caring about? Like I said, I don't care. And I need to be, I need to be genuine and hold myself accountable. Like I want to put out my voice and, and this is my platform. And I don't care if anybody's watching. I really do this for myself. I empower and encourage and, um, and motivate myself to do it. And I enjoy doing it. And so I'm not going to let hate be my motivator. I'm not going to think about what someone could shade about me. I'm going to put out and continue to put out what matters and what's important to me. And even if nobody on the planet but my Lizzie is listening and watching, I feel loved. I feel seen. I feel heard. And I just want to thank you, Liz, for loving me and supporting me and all the different avenues our friendship has taken, 
I am so grateful that it's still here, that it's still strong, and that I can still say that you are my friend almost 20 years later. That is amazing. And what is great about our friendship is we both have kind of sarcastic personalities and so many people get worried when they see us together like, oh, they're probably talking about me or they're shading me. We don't have time. When we get together, (laughs) when we talk, we don't have time to talk about anybody else. We're talking about ourselves and having fun and laughing and crying and talking about TV. Like, it is so rare that we talk about anybody other than ourselves when we have a conversation. And so many people are worried and threatened about what what someone else is talking about them because they know how negatively they talk about other people. But I love that I I set a boundary. Um, and I heard that I'm good about setting boundaries, but who knows? I don't know what I'm good at. But like, I set this where I'm like, hey, I don't want to tear down people. I just want to, um, you know, if we're friends, I want to enjoy our friendship. If we have stuff to talk about or things to unload or unpack or vent about, I get that. But I don't want to just dog people out. And Liz has always respected that. And, you know, when we get together, like it's on the positive tip. And again, I just want to say thank you, Liz. I love you. And I will continue to allow people that pour positive into me to be my motivating factor and hate will never be my motivator. So with that, if you are still here through all of this, thank you. You are officially my new best friend. So you know what you need to do. Call me every five minutes, bestie. Okay, bye.